the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good morning. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, budgeting, relationships, anything that you want to talk about, mergers and acquisitions. We can do it all. We'll do it all. Which is a play on Bill O'Reilly freaking out when he was the host of Extra. So, um... Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. Uh, take a look at the market numbers today. We see S&P 500 up 2, Dow up 29, NASDAQ up 1. Stock market began the week yesterday on an upbeat note. Small cap and momentum stocks came bounding back from recent losses. Dow Jones Industrial Average, Dow Jones Transports Average, S&P 500 all closed record highs, so we're at record highs. And if I was savvy, I'd have, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, happy days are here. Like, we're at all-time highs. Isn't that something to be celebrated? It's not really. It's what the market does on a regular basis. When it doesn't, we're like, oh, no, market's off. I feel like I'm losing so much money. When you're not really losing money, you're losing on paper. But give your shares a chance. Give your exchange-traded funds a chance, and they'll come fighting back if they're well-diversified and low-cost. A measure of support has been provided today by AT&T, potentially offering as much as $50 billion to acquire DirecTV. It's also been helped by that familiar things out there um, in the world of economic data, being regarded as good news or likely to produce more stimulus. We've got retail sales today that we'll talk about. Large decline in electronics and appliance stores. Large decline in miscellaneous store retailers, non-store retailers. Food service and drinking places down nine-tenths of a percent. Furniture stores off. There was gain in clothing and sporting goods, as well as personal care stores. Gas prices higher as well. So that's not headline enthusiasm. Uh... We're expected, I think, to grow about three-tenths of a percent. In retail sales, we grew one-tenth of a percent. 
Now, there were some upward revisions to March for total sales, but again, that's kind of past performance. and It's nice. It goes down in the history books well, but uh, not a lot that we could be pitting our hopes to. Pent-up demand is reportedly the basis for why a lot of economists are forecast second quarter GDP with a three or four handle on it. This could be a stretch seeing these, reco- uh, these core retail sales numbers just weren't that great. So some of the other stories out there today, and there's some good ones, I think. Uh, Keurig Green Mountain Coffee. You might know about Keurig Coffee Machines. That's the single cup pods. I love it. Don't do it often because it's expensive, but it's still the better way of making a pot of coffee is by cups. Coca-Cola is exercising its option to increase its stake in the company from 10% to 16%. Eventually, they're going to own that whole company. Time Warner. Bernstein upgraded the stock to outperform from market perform. Better earnings prospects, ultimately. Rackspace, one of those Web 2.0 kind of companies. Uh, they reported first quarter profit of 18 cents a share, beating expectations. Revenue above expectations. Web hosting company. So increased demand for its services throughout the quarter. I imagine there'll be a division of someone like Microsoft or Amazon down the road. Maybe Google. Pfizer CEO Ian Reid is appearing in front of British Parliament trying to garner support for his company's bid for the rival drug maker. BlackBerry has unveiled a budget handset in the Indonesian market trying to boost sales in emerging markets. So this is the, you know, the bigger, bolder types of stories that are out there. Talking about some of the you know bigger themes, more dollars continue to shift from traditional TV to web. You know the ABCs, NBCs, CBSs could keep holding on to like our fall lineup. It's just it doesn't seem all that important anymore. As younger people are watching more non-prime time television and they're watching it through various devices and not necessarily through the networks. You know, it's where the audience is going. That's where the advertising dollars are going. Money for online videos definitely coming out of TV. Starcom Media Vest, it's a big ad buy-in firm, said it shifted more than $500 million out of TV over the past 12 months, three-quarters of which went to online outlets. So that's a big trend. Digital Media drew about 25% of total ad dollars. And predictions are that television will remain bigger than digital until 2018, by which time TV's share of total ad spending will slip. And that's when mobile and uh, website ads will have more advertising dollars going to them versus TV. So we're getting there. I think that's nice to see. I, I, I don't know. So Coke, planning to increase its mo- uh, share of Keurig. Bottom line there that we have to kind of grasp is that this is all about carbonated beverages just aren't as sexy as they used to be. So Coke is trying to figure out how do we stay relevant going into the future. We've got tons of cash. We've got great cash flow. We can do a big dividend. We can do all sorts of things with our, our shares. But right now there's a problem. You know, it's our, our core sales, we need to reinvent those. So Keurig's not a bad move. Coke is moving beyond store aisles and restaurant fountain machines in a bid to find new customers after its global sales slipped 
Global sales slipped last year 1%. The first decline in its carbonated beverage since 1999. Soda sales are struggling, particularly in the United States. Yeah, uh, last couple of years, I gave up Diet Coke. Uh, just was time to move on to another beverage. and Completely cold turkey went to green tea uh, for my caffeine, and I'm more than fine with it. To get your calls on the air? Well, you can't get your calls on the air. Still working on a new phone number. Uh, try to get that done today. There has to be a number, because I actually heard another show yesterday get phone calls, but they're just not telling me the number. It's like the time my parents moved without telling me. I was like seven years old, come home and the house is packed and, and gone. Thanks, Mom, Dad. So there's a thought out there that the economy is about to roar. Um, what's that mean? It's We're putting a lot of thought into the back half of the year, a lot of hope. Job openings seem to be showing us that the market should improve as the year goes on. There was a review uh, report out on owners reported job openings that they could not fill in the current period, which is, you know, two points in the survey. So it's a sign of labor tightness, which also means the risk of wage inflation starting to increase. Credit conditions are starting to improve. In earnings seasons, varying degrees of optimism and pessimism have found their way into management's tones, reflecting the start-stop nature of the recovery. But we're moving more and more towards, you know, just like I said, a little more wage inflation, which should lead job openings. Drop me an email today, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. You can find me on the internet, robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. We'll take a break here. Be right back. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Take a look at the market numbers today. We see the SP 500 up 3, the Dow's up 31. For the record, the SP 500 hit 1900 record territory. Same thing with the Dow, the NASDAQ up four, sitting at 41.48. Let's welcome in Tony Mendez. Tony Mendez is a mortgage lender. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony, fixing your credit. That's something we've all been there, gotten into a late payment. I have one in the last five years. And my story is kind of goofy. It was a mortgage payment that Mm -hmm. I sent in the payment. They didn't cash the check. Uh oh. Then they notify me and they say, Okay, now that you're almost late, send it to this P.O. box. And I thought I did. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, and that's the worst one to pay late is the mortgage, especially if you're looking at other kind of uh, real estate transactions, because it really hangs on there for quite a while, no matter what your credit score is. It dings my credit? Yeah. Uh, credit score has the biggest effect on your uh, rate 
in almost any product that you're going to get, whether it's a credit card, a car loan, or a mortgage. The mortgage, obviously, is going to be the largest expense because you're going to pay that over 30 years, and it can really add up. The difference between a 640 score and a 740 score on a a traditional type of of loan is about 1%. On a $400,000 loan, that's $200 a month more that you're spending because you have a lower credit score. So the first thing I would do is get a copy of your credit report. You can go to annualcreditreport.com, or you can go to your creditor. Let's say you're doing a, a transaction of some sort. Hopefully, they'll be able to show you the, the, the credit report. Check for accuracy. Make sure that everything's on there. And if there's some things that you can fix that are easy, try to do it on your own or use that creditor. If they're a lot more difficult, then you can try using some of these invasive credit card companies and they, uh, credit repair companies, and they can range in price from $85 a month to a one-time $2,000, $3,000 fee, depending on how bad it is and how um, what's the necessity of, of how quickly you need it. So What's ironic or what's odd about a credit score is you have to use credit and maintain credit to have a good credit right. score. Right. There's a lot of misconceptions about how to keep your credit good yeah. and how to improve your credit. I, for instance, grew up as a young man thinking, if I have no credit card debt, they'll love me because I pay off my credit card. Where mm-hmm. a credit card company wants you to carry a balance because that's how they make money. And it's also how the, it's part of their algorithms that they use to calculate your actual credit. You have to use your credit cards. The best way to do on a credit card, for example, is to have a balance below um, 30% of the limit. So if you have a limit of 10000 you want to keep it below 3000 But you want to keep using it. You, you definitely want to, don't want to pay it off every month. Your credit score will be lower than somebody who actually has 10 credit cards they pay on time and keep their balances low. Another way to keep your credit uh, clean is, is keep, keep accounts open and don't close them. But definitely make sure you manage them and they don't get stolen. And, and, and that brings up another point, too. You also want to keep... You want to keep them open. eye on your account. Well, before we go there, keeping your credit lines open mm-hmm. ages the account, the well, average years that you've had credit. So if you, you open up a lot of new credit cards, mm-hmm. you're, you've only had credit maybe from five years will go down to one year because you just opened right. five new credit cards. So Correct. All, all those years of, of paying on time just got watered down because you opened up too many new credit cards. Yeah, there's, there's several factors that will affect your credit, um, your lower balances, uh, accuracy, collections, time, new accounts. Uh, the, there's three bureaus. There's Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And add a .com at the end of each one of those, and you can go and get your own credit report. You can also d- do disputes. This is when you want to do your fixing your credit on your own. You can do a dispute through that agency or that bureau. Um, or you can use your creditor to do what they call rapid rescores. If you need a really quick transaction and there's something easy, maybe it was a, a mistake on your credit report, you can show up a bill and say, I did really pay this, and you could do a rapid rescore. And sometimes there's a big difference. Like if you're doing a rental property and you're buying an investment property, there's minimum scores you need to meet if you have a certain down payment. And some people need to do these types of rapid rescores. So getting in front of your credit is important. We talked about monitoring your credit. There's some good tools that you use. For instance? Credit Karma is one. Credit Karma? That's an app on a phone? It's an, it's an app, but what it, it, it may not be the most effective tool to managing your, your credit, but it gets you involved. It's, it tells you that all your accounts that are on there, what your balances are. And it also alerts you if, this, if new, new entries come up, new inquiries, and, and new credit. So it's a way that people get involved, and I think that everyone should be involved in their credit because it has such an impact in the, in the financial industry. Good idea. And one last final thought that I want to throw out there is to improve your credit score, go out and get a 
credit. You know, go put a thousand dollars on your credit card and start paying it off slowly. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you really, really, really want to improve your credit, that's one way of doing it. Show that you could pay on time. We've been talking with Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Twitter, Rob Black Show. Investors make mistakes, and that's one of the things we try to cut down on the show. It's the mistakes that kill your performance. It's the mistakes that make you angry at the stock market. It's the mistake that think you makes you think that it's rigged, and it's not. American consumers are great at recognizing a sale on their favorite products like shoes. Um, 50% off, you know, food, love it. But for some reason, when it comes to the stock market, when there's a down day, people get discouraged versus getting happier. You forget value. And negative days create value. Another mistake that investors will make that they should stop is, you know, um, kind of getting too big for your own britches, so to speak. When you increase the amount that you're trading, you need to do it very, very slow, very, very methodically. When you increase the number of holdings in your 401k or the number of holdings in your ETF, you know, fund for the house, the more you add onto it, it's it's maddening how much work you're creating. And I'll see people, you know, jump into 10 stocks or 20 stocks almost instantly. Um, big mistake. Regular mistake people make is they put too many eggs in one basket. Look, I like social media stocks. I own one. I'd like to probably own three or four, but I own one. Uh, I think another big mistake people make is that they think they're special. This is very behavioral finance-oriented. You know, it becomes increasingly popular that you uh, you have biases as you get more successful in life. You kind of have a confirmation bias, giving preference to facts that support your case or support your point of view on a stock. There's a hurting bias out there, which is also known as a fear of missing out, a FOMO. Got to recognize what you are as an investor. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Bring in Patrick O'Hare. Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Mr. O'Hare? Yes. Oh, there you are. Yeah, hi. You being distracted by the record tops on the, or the record highs on the markets today? Um, distracted? Um, I don't know if I say distracted, but certainly interested um, in seeing this market continue to perform and, uh, in the face of otherwise disappointing economic news, but I think it's a reflection of kind of what this market has been all about and its uh, continued uh, desire to see zero interest rates for as long as possible. 
it does seem to be that, you know, rock, scissors, paper, that the weaker economic data seems to support lower interest rates, and Wall Street tends to, to win in that, that scenario, at least at this point in time. Are you worried at all about hyperinflation coming out of the low interest rates, or don't see it, don't want to talk about it right now? Yeah, not worried about hyperinflation. Probably worried more about hyperspeculation. Um, okay. In, in that, uh, you know, I mean, you have, you know, the Fed chair that's sitting out in front of uh, Congress and telling the world that, you know, there are no no bubbles in, uh, in the stock market uh, as a whole. Um, now, we can concur with that opinion. As we've discussed before, we don't think that the market is, uh, you know, grossly overvalued. Certain pockets of the market were and probably continue to be. But um, when the message, though, from the Fed chair is, is simply that, you know, we've got to keep things as accommodative as possible for a really long time yet, you know, the market's going to take that view and, and run with it because it's been so successful for so long uh, riding that, that policy. And um, and I think it, it does help explain in part, you know, why we continue to levitate here uh, in, you know, record high levels for the Dow and the S&P 500 while the real economy continues to levitate around, you know, 2%, you know, GDP growth, uh, which is nothing special. You mentioned the stock market and the real economy. Obviously, you're talking about real people versus, say, corporate profits. Um, is there a problem brewing there? Is there? Well, you know, it's certainly uh, going to be, you know, uh, I think a focal point uh, as we run into the midterm elections. I mean, politicians are certainly going to seize on the, uh, you know, the reported income inequality that uh, is evident, and certainly the tremendous profitability you're seeing at U.S. corporations not really filtering through uh, into strong wage growth. Um, so there is a disconnect there, and, and the fact that you don't have that uh, strong wage growth is uh, partly why you don't have a very strong recovery, because uh, consumers are are you know watching you know what they're spending and how they're spending, and and. Uh, you know, paradoxically, businesses are not uh, investing in new capital equipment because they're worried about end demand not being there. Uh, and it's just this weird cycle, if you will, where, you know, companies are in great shape, uh, but the uh, many of the employees that work there and certainly many of the consumers that consume the products these companies um, produce are not in nearly as good a shape uh, to um, to spend freely. How about the idea, and I'm speaking with Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. How about the idea of sell in May? We're hitting record highs. It's a, that catchy phrase, sell in May, go away. Maybe buy back in the fall, wait for the profits to show up, the earnings to show up, the jobs to show up. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm always I'm always leery of, um, you know, of some of those t- types of um Connections. I mean, I'll grant you, you know, in uh, reading the Stock Traders Almanac, um, you know, it points out clearly that, you know, basically the vast majority of the uh, of the market's gains do, uh, you know, occur in that November to April period. It's a really interesting dynamic. But, you know, no two years are alike, obviously. Sell in May and go away uh, worked very poorly last year. Um, it may be right again this year. I, you know, I really don't know. But the the point being, what we've continued to emphasize to Briefing.com readers is essentially, you do have a market that is um, 
um, you know, fully valued, um, and that the upside will be more challenging to come by here. Multiple expansion will not come easily because um, you have, uh, uh, you know, profit margins near record highs here. Um, you have earnings growth that is been manufactured in a large number of cases through share buybacks uh, rather than from, you know, strong top-line driven growth, uh, which is a reflection that demand still isn't all that great. And then, of course, we, you know, have the Federal Reserve that's aiming to uh, be done with its quantitative easing program uh, and uh, growing evidence here that the economy is yet to really achieve the escape velocity that so many people were expecting it to achieve uh, when 2013 was coming to an end. And so, um, so we, you know, upside will be challenging. We're not necessarily looking for a, you know, a major, you know, you know, bear market decline here uh, outside of certain, you know, pockets of the market, which we've discussed in the past as well. But um, but all in all, it's likely going to be one of those years that, that is, you know, a lot of back and forth, and uh, we're still expecting some modestly positive returns, though. Taking a look at the markets, um, the retail sales numbers that came out today were weaker than expected. Are we really... How confident are you in the jobs coming down the line to um, help everything you out? Know, that, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the retail sales numbers, you know, I guess the one mitigating factor there is you did see, you know, appropriate vision to the March data. So it wasn't quite as bad as what the headlines suggested. But nonetheless, um, as we look through that report, we didn't see, you know, real strong evidence of a lot of pent-up demand being unleashed. And that was one of the factors, of course, uh, on which um, – Economists predicated some really um, optimistic Q2 GDP forecasts that would have either a three-handle or even a four-handle on them. So, uh, could be a stretch there. Um, but the, you know, in terms of the, uh, you know, job growth, I don't think that we're going to be hitting uh, any new levels soon. That you know, you're going to see, you know, 300,000 plus. Probably going to continue to keep running down around the, you know, 200,000 area, which is. Okay, but uh, you know certainly not not great, and um, you know, and it's going to continue to be. And from our standpoint, we think we're going to continue to grow in that area of two to two and a half percent. So, uh, you know, based on that, we're not expecting there to be a huge acceleration in uh, in the payroll growth beyond what we you know kind of presently see. There's studies that come out on a regular occasion about the savings rate of Americans and the retirees and the boomers. Do you see the boomers retiring as a plus for the economy because it will open up jobs for younger people, or do you see boomers retiring as a negative as they'll drain the Social Security network of uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and other public benefits? Right. Well, certainly it's a transformational event, um, and with the aging of America, I mean, there will be uh, that many more jobs created, you know, to, to meet you know, their needs as they get older, a uh, large part of which will be, you know, in the medical health care field, um, you know, extending into, you know, travel, uh, if you will, and probably even, you know, some other consumer discretionary areas. And, and so there will be opportunities there, but... Um, but as it, in terms of what we're, we're seeing, you know, as I look at it from, you know, as a market analyst here, um, you could potentially... What's going on with the, the Treasury market could be a, re, a reflection, frankly, of 
uh, or partly anyway, of those boomers, you know, exiting the workforce and simply wanting to preserve, you know, capital. You know, they don't want to make sure that they lose any money as they move into the retirement years, and so they are saddled with these very low interest rates, but they are interest rates nonetheless that give them some peace of mind that they won't lose their principal uh, and might even, you know, tack on a little bit of income. And, and we think that that has been one of the factors that has helped suppress yields here this year um, in the face of all of these optimistic outlooks. But um, but it will be a transformational event, uh, and it's just hard to determine here, I think, at this juncture just, you know, what it will ultimately mean from a, you know, GDP growth standpoint. But, um, but obviously there's going to be fewer workers there to, you know, help fund the Social Security and all the, those other entitlement programs as well. So um, so the future is maybe not quite as bright as it once was when all those boomers were in the workforce. So we're going to need to be more productive and uh, hopefully uh, make more babies to, to help sustain, uh, support that, uh, that cohort as they leave the workforce. Make more babies. That's your financial <laughs> tip of the day. Um, a couple <laughs> minutes left, Mr. O'Hare. Anything that you want to bring up that's on your radar? Yeah, well, I'm going to be watching the uh, the retailer earnings reports uh, coming out later this week. Um, you have companies like Macy's and Kohl's and Walmart, uh, J.C. Penney and Nordstrom. They're going to be reporting, and uh, and um, which is a signal that we're at the end of the first quarter reporting season. But uh, but I really want to hear what these retailers are going to say about you know the second quarter and the rest of the year because so many of them blame uh, you know disappointments in the first quarter on the on the bad weather and. As we sit there and consider, you know, where the economy is right now and where it's going to go, these retailers might give us some clues as to whether they really are expecting some of that pent-up demand we've been hearing about to be unleashed uh, in coming periods. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. Briefing provides independent live market analysis of the United States international equity markets. I've been using them for 15-plus years. Top-notch financial information, top-notch financial analysts. just good insights. Economists, you know, tomorrow I'll be speaking with Jeff Rosen, Dr. Jeff Rosen at 8.30, uh, about what he's seeing in the economy and with retail, as well as other such uh, areas that have dramatic impact on Wall Street. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Google's in the news today. The highest court in the European Union decided today that Google must grant users of its search engine a right to delete links about themselves in some cases, including links to legal records. The decision by the European Court of Justice in Luxembourg is a blow for Google, which has sought to avoid the obligation to remove links when requested by European users of its services. By ruling that an Internet company like Google must comply with privacy laws when operating in the European Union, a consumer market of roughly 550 million people, the court basically is indicating that such companies must operate in a fundamentally different way than they do in the United States. It's kind of a landmark judgment. Instead of operating as a single around-the-world, around-the-clock forum for other people's information, Google, and potentially companies like Facebook and Twitter would need in the 28 European countries become more actively involved in 
referring complaints, or refereeing complaints is probably the right way of saying that, from users about information carried online. Companies would assume the responsibility and cost removing that information if requested to do so by national data officials. Um, interesting. There's also the story in the news today that we kind of already talked about this, but that AT&T is probably about two weeks away from buying DirecTV. Obviously, that's part of what's called a convergence, where we're getting TV companies that want to be phone companies, phone companies that want to be... And that convergence has happened before. We've seen it you know, in the late 90s with banks. Insurance companies wanted to become banks. Banks wanted to become stockbrokers. Stockbrokers wanted to become insurance. They all wanted each other's business model. It didn't end so well. I'm not saying that's the case this time. Just, just talking out loud. Weak retail sales are part of the story of the day. Uh, just got finished talking to Patrick O'Hare about that. Uh, okay number, but we're looking for more. TV ad dollars are shifting towards web video. That's obviously a big plus for where the eyeballs are in web. History is going to look back at Google buying YouTube, and when they bought YouTube, everyone chuckled at the billions of dollars they spent. I I watch a lot on YouTube. I'm surprised by how much. Um, I don't watch primetime television kind of hours. But if, you know, I'm at a Yahoo story and they're like, this is the goal of the year. Watch this. The guy's going to kick it in with the back part of his foot. Typically that's on YouTube or something along those lines. Coca-Cola is increasing its Keurig state to 16%. Clearly trying to um, counter the trend of carbonated beverages on the decline. So coffee's not on the decline. Tea's not on the decline. Hot chocolate, not on the decline. All things that you can make with your Keurig coffee cup maker. Which I swear by mine, but I know some people are kind of a... didn't like it. But when I look at Coke and I go, you know, Sprite, Phantom, Minute Maid, Powerade, all brands I haven't had in years and years and years. And then I look at Keurig and we know Green Mountain is going to come out with what's called a Keurig cold system. So it should be available in 2015. It's going to obviously compete with SodaStream. So this gives Coca-Cola a chance to sell basically Coca-Cola in your home. Interesting. Still need some time to wrap my head around it to see if I feel good about it. But I think my initial you know, review is that that's not a bad idea. Atlantic hurricane season spans from June 1st to November 30th. It's approaching fast. Good news is the season's not expected to be as active as in the past seasons. It's being attributed to the cooler than average water temperatures and the potential for the El Nino event in the Pacific waters. Forecast for the Weather Channel calls for 11 named storms. Long-term average is about 12. Hurricane season's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? I hated that movie, by the way. Just hated it. I know, probably like the only person. Um, so weather was a big winter excuse. Now, hurricanes typically, you know, aren't a weather excuse for the economy, but the severe weather does help the economy. When houses are knocked down, people have to build new houses and get new rugs and get new televisions. 
it's one of the reasons why housing has a future is that, you know, on a regular basis, houses fail. They burn down or they get destroyed or, you know, just heck, you want to expand your living space and, you know, you don't want to sell the house because you got the location that you want. You just want to build up. So that's something we got looking forward to, the summer refresh of weather storms. Um, to get your call, no, don't get your calls in there. It's to drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money invested in more. There was a small business survey out today that is very bullish for stocks. It basically said there's a lot of pent-up demand for labor and that our hourly work weeks are starting to stretch to the point that companies are going to have to hire. That should help. Uh, not wild, but it should help. Beats Music Service. The company Apple just picked up. Uh, and it's incredibly controversial. It's profitable to the company. But their streaming service set up by Dr. Gray as part of his headphones brand had 111,000 subscribers in March, which basically means it's tiny. Since its launch in January... Beats Music has added 49,000 individual accounts and 61,000 family accounts, which can have up to five users. But because the U.S. mobile phone provider AT&T has been offering a 90-day free promotion, it's unclear how many of them are paid for. So Apple is said to be pursuing that acquisition of Beats. still not totally confirmed. Dre seems to confirm the purchase, though. Talking about becoming the first billionaire in hip-hop. So... It would be nice if Apple would come out and tell us a little bit more about this. Very, very low royalties in the streaming world. Beats plays its artists 0.0001 cent per play. Not even a penny per play. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. That's 408-947 at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's a big time in technology. Apple's got the watch that everyone is speculating on. Will it or won't it happen? What will it look like? Will we pay a premium for it if it monitors your heart and blood pressure and things like that? Whoa, right? Google's got glass. You know, pairs of glass that you can put on your head that has a computer screen tied towards it. Controversial already. One of the more interesting ones of the future of tech, to me, on wearables, it's one that we probably won't think of too often. When I was growing up, you know, mom put you in a crib and kind of let you cry it out. You know, then came the, the baby monitor or the nanny monitor, where you can check on your kid, eyeball, you know, just eyeball him, see if he's okay, if he's still breathing, see if he's in his crib or not kind of thing. That was kind of a move forward for technology, right? 
Well, the big one's copying, and it's going to be tied towards wearables for children. It's pretty much a natural extension. It allows a parent not to worry about whether the baby is sleeping or breathing. The wearable device movement spawned a wealth of digital fitness trackers, the Fitbit, the Nike sports watch, or the Nike wristwatch, wrist thing, whatever. I guess it was a watch, too. But these smart watches, the, the fitness trackers, that's all going to invade the crib. And it's going to interact with your cell phone. It's going to target tech enthusiast parents who want to spend money, want to collect data on their kids. There's a thing called a Mimo Baby. For over $200, you get a set of three baby bodysuits that include a device used to measure respiration, skin temperature, and body position. The product sends the vital sign information to a smartphone. Uh, there's one that's called Owlet, Owlet, O-W-L-E-T, Baby Care. And it senses a baby's oxygen saturation and heart rate, $250 plus. Now, I don't know, you, you probably remember 10, 15 years ago, and cell phones weren't common. And safety advocates started coming up with a concept of, is it a good idea to put something that emits radiation close to our heads? And same question is going to come up with, you know, babies, should we be putting them near devices that... You know, aren't monitored by the FCC or very few regulations exist right now requiring products for children to be tested for toxic chemicals and metals. Baby wearables are also drawing questions about usefulness. But this is going to be a big market. You know, that one outlet that I was just talking about, the fabric sock is embedded with sensors that send data via Bluetooth to a smartphone and alert caregivers if the, body's, if the baby's heart rate starts to spike, if it's too high or too low. Or if the baby stops breathing. So they're going to start shipping that sock in October, and they've already received over $300,000 in orders. So there's a, a demand for it. And again, that's why I think the future of technology is so intriguing, is uh, the spinoffs of the ideas. You know, you and I are adults, and we think of Apple's watch as an adult product. I remember a couple of years ago, Disney was selling, and they, for some reason they stopped it. To me, it seemed like a pretty good idea. Disney was selling phone that you could turn the, you could program it. So, like, if your kid's at school, you could have it alert you if that phone leaves the school. So, pretty cool idea, uh, but kind of like a fence, a GPS fence that would let parents know. Uh, we live in the day and age where, you know, self-driving cars with Google, it's going to happen. Will it happen in cities? That's another question. But highway driving and going to the movies in the suburbs should happen in the next five to ten years. You know, the ramifications of self-driving cars, companies could change their parking structures. So the cars go park themselves, you know, a quarter of a mile from campus. So we don't have to see the eyesore of a parking garage. They can tear down the parking garage, put up a, a nicer, newer building, and you know, put up a parking garage a couple blocks away. So self-driving cars, great idea for parking, for employees. Gets workers into the door and out the door faster. Use your smartphone, contact your car, have it come pick you up right at the door. So that should happen five, ten years. Uh, real mainstream by 2020. But, you know, penetration of vehicles 
we don't replace our cars every year like we do our cell phones. Lifespan on TVs and cars are a lot longer than it is on cell phone. But I like some of the other ramifications with self-driving cars. Senior citizens can have more of a social life. They can get out and about. They can go to the movies. You know, you combine a service like Lyft with a self-driving car, and uh, seniors are able to, you know, go to the drugstore and pick up their drugs. I like it. I like it a lot. I like the ramifications. I like the ramifications that insurance companies would probably have to lower their rates because the number of accidents should probably go down. There won't be any red light running cars. In the disgusting story of the day, changing topics ever so slightly, well, I guess kind of heavily, although this is pretty big technology, there's a distillery in the United States called Templeton Rye, and they're attempting to breed pigs that taste like whiskey. Oh my, do we need this? The distillery's founders are raising 25 purebred jerk pigs on a farm in Iowa and feeding them a diet that includes dry distillery grain left over from the whiskey-making process. More and more people want as much information as available about the food they're eating, including its history and the path it took from origin to plate. So, whiskey drinkers, in theory, appreciate flavor and quality. So, can they market a selection of heritage-bred pigs fed a diet using... Mash, rye mash. I don't get it. I don't, for some reason, I don't think we need this. But I, we're going to get it. The founder of Templeton, a guy named Keith Kirkhoff, he said, we have a little motto here. My dad always told me, nothing good happens after 12 p.m. So it seems like that's when this idea was probably thought of, after we had a few drinks. Pigs will be raised in an open pen setting in the family farm in Iowa. Uh, There's been already a number of inquiries about the pigs, including one from top chef winner, Stefani Izzard. I just find that idea like we could probably be solving something bigger than that problem. uh, Contact me. It's rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about money investing and more. I always have events coming up. You can find one of them at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Don't be shy. Contact me. Reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. And again, basically anything goes from baby technology all the way, and I'm saying all the way, to making, to breeding our pigs to taste like whiskey. I just so don't get that one. Coming up, I'm going to be talking about eating habits of a generation and how it should affect your portfolio of investments. We'll take a break here. Be right back. Find me online at robblack.com, Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black, or Facebook fan page, Cron4, Rob Black.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I want to get you to retirement with as much money as possible so that you can be a great-grandparent or so that you can see the world. I had a professor in college just you know, basically see me chomping at the bit to get successful in life. He's like, relax, relax. You don't have to write the great American novel in your 20s. Most authors do it in their 40s and 50s. And I was like, okay. I got his point. Right? Um, I don't know. Let's talk a little real estate. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's a mortgage lender. How are you, Tony? I'm well. Let's talk about 15-year... Well, let's talk about mortgages, their product. There's a 30-year product where you get a, you know, borrow $500,000 for 30 years. You pay interest on it. Uh, there's a 15-year. There's a 10-year. There's a 5-year. There's a 3-year... And after three years, if you haven't paid off, it balloons, and suddenly you owe everything, so you have to refinance that, which is appropriate. Like, for instance, if I were in media and I'm moving a lot, or you know, you get the idea. Like, right. So one of the one of the product sets available to people are short-term arms, but they're fixed for a certain period of time. So if you, for example, are moving quite often, you can set the term of that fixed period for the time frame that you plan on staying in that, ha- that property. Unless you plan on buying a property and keeping it for a long period of time, maybe turning it into a rental and then moving, buying another property and then moving, you'd get a 30-year fixed. But most people that do that kind of transient work, they're yeah. going to get like a five-year arm because the rate's almost three-quarters percent lower than the 30-year fixed. Why give away money when you can simply just get a shorter-term loan? When I got into this business 15-plus years ago, I quickly learned that a mortgage is a product that... It's great because it doesn't readjust for inflation. It's great because it's a way of borrowing a large amount of money for a low cost that has a tax deduction likely to it. There's a lot of reasons to love it as a financial tool. But that's when mortgage rates were at 8 9% for a 30-year. You know, the 15-year, it just didn't make sense. Now, 15 years on a lot of cases makes sense. If you could afford, if you've maxed out your retirement, you don't need to save any extra money for retirement. You're saving a lot for retirement. A 15-year versus a 30 does make sense for some people. Yeah. As the rates are as low as they are right now, it gives many more people an opportunity to manage that mortgage debt. Uh, a quick example, if you had a 5% mortgage or a 5.5% mortgage back uh, in 2008, or for example, and you could turn that into a 15-year today, five years later, uh, your payments might even be the same, and you're going to knock off 10 years off your loan. And that's 10 years of interest that you don't have to pay. So going into a 15-year can make a lot of sense for many, many, many people. Um, the, the spread between the 30-year and the 15-year is something that a lot of people are paying attention to as well. It, it historically is around 0.4%. Now it's up to 0.75, almost 0.8, meaning that there's a large, large spread between those two rates and giving you that payment savings. And it's, but it, what it, there's a really simple formula that a lot of people can follow. You simply take your current loan yeah. payment, multiply by the remaining term, and that equals a dollar amount that you're going to pay to have that loan for that period of time. You take a new loan, like a 15-year, times, uh, so it's 180 months, times the new payment, and that equals a certain dollar amount. That's usually lower because you're paying for a shorter period of time. You're paying less interest at a lower interest rate. It, it, the payment might be a little bit higher, so if you can afford it, that can sometimes make a lot of sense. With that out there, it's good to run scenarios, and you kind of lost me a little bit there. I'm a little bit sloppy on my mortgage math, and I need help. I need scenarios run, and I've done a lot of loans with you. And one thing that I'll say is, show me a 30-year, show me a 15-year, show me 
good credit, bad credit. So I, I want to see because I'm a very visual, visual eater. I like to eat data. Uh, yeah, and, I got, uh, and I got that when I first got in the industry in, in the mid-2000s. A lot of people just wanted payment, payment, payment. So it's become more uh, of a practice in our industry to, to explain these, these types of scenarios to people. As a matter of fact, we're required to list out different options for borrowers so that yeah. they can see what a 15-year does, what a 30-year does, what are the payment options, if you buy points, if you don't buy points. So these things are now a practice that we do. So I, I can understand that a lot of people still just want to say, what's my 30-year, what's my 15-year? I'll make the decision. There's a lot more that goes into it. Every 10 years in my personal property, I like to either take money out or sell the house and buy different properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the 30-year mortgage. I keep my payment low. I build equity slowly. Uh, for my rental properties, I like right now the 15-year mortgage because I'm able to pay them off faster. Depreciation is going to happen. That's fine. Um, but also, I like being cash flow positive. Yeah. And if I can be cash flow positive on a 15-year, done. If I can be cash flow positive by having it paid off, done. Again, with the rates as low as they are, you're able to do that on a consistent basis where you go five years, re-amortize for 30 years, pull some money out. Yep. It's something that a lot of people can do right now. That's why the industry, is so, I, I think, is one more of the catalyst of why prices are going up because so many people are doing the, what they call the step-ups. So when I take money out of my house every 5, 10, 15 years by either refinance or selling the house, I'm using the mortgage to sell the house. I'm just selling off 200000 of it every slowly in chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, People don't grasp that concept. It is a very powerful tool, a mortgage, especially if you learn how to use it for your better and not necessarily for the bank's better. That's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. So one of the things I mentioned in that segment is the concept of time, like every 10 years pulling money out of a home, putting it somewhere else, maybe letting it leverage somewhere else. There's no right answer. I know a lot of times you expect me to be your Buddha on the mountain, but there's no right answer. It's what works for individual people. I just want to kind of, again, warn you that a lot of people are expecting a lower standard of living in retirement. One out of three workers expect their standard of living to decrease when they retire. 41% think it will stay about the same. If you're living off $40,000 a year of income, you need at least a million dollars in your nest egg. Now, sometimes it can be kind of convoluted, like you have children and you live in the Bay Area and you're doing private schools. I mean, you could be living off a budget of 300000 Hopefully, you don't have those expenses when you're 60, 65, but there's no right answer. So, the concept of every 10 years revisiting things, I think every five is probably a more realistic number. Seeing where you are on your goals, see if your goals have changed. I think if you have a financial journal or some sort of notebook where you can keep things like insurance policies, make it easy on your spouse if you get hit by a car today to figure out how much you're worth. Um, I recently did a loan where I had to come up with a net worth statement. And the bank put together a very nice and pretty sheet for me. They had me sign it, and I was like, whoa. So I took that, put it in my binder, just in case. It shows where everything is, and the account numbers tied towards them. I like that. So that concept of having a binder that you look at every five to ten years of your assets, of your goals, of your policies. Remember I told you the story about my dad dying who's given cancer and told he had six months left to live? He died six months later. 
Had he had a binder, he could have like made sure everything was up to date. He let an insurance policy fail, a whole life insurance policy fail during that period of time. All he had to do was pay the premium, and mom, mom would have made another $400,000 in life insurance. Sad, but he forgot about it. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. You can find me online at robblack.com, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Let's go to a caller. Let's go to John. John is in Fremont. How are you, John? Hi, I'm good. How did you get the uh, phone number? How did I get this phone number? Yeah. Uh, radio show. So I, I don't know. Even... I actually That's met you uh, a few uh, weeks ago in, in a Berlin game. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, so I have a question about uh, a down payment on a house. Uh, so, so I have a Roth IRA, and I've had it for about five years, and I've heard there's this rule where you can take out uh, up to $10,000 from your Roth IRA, um, uh, assuming the account has been open for five years. And this is only if, uh, only if you use the $10,000 for a down payment on a house for first-time home buyers. So I'm just wondering if you've heard about this and whether you think it's a good idea. Is $10,000 really going to help your down payment? Uh, yeah, I think I think it, it would help me get there. Okay. Was the goal of that Roth IRA all about retirement, or was it about a down payment on a house? Um, I always uh, had it open thinking that I might use it for a down payment one day, and I think okay. contributing... Uh, to my 401k as well as my Roth IRA. So I have, you know, more than $10,000. I have probably about $100,000 saved up, and I'm 27. So I think that's pretty good. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, $10,000 is is not a major hit for my Roth IRA. Okay. Yeah, then by all means, if that's going to help you do it, do it. Um, It's not... You know, you can take 10% out. Well, you're not going to get the 10% penalty, and your phone line is horrible, so it's distracting me. So thanks for the call. I'll answer it. Give you a second to catch me up, uh, catch up on radio. So, yeah, you can take money out of traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, to pay up to $10,000 of first-time homebuyer expenses without incurring a 10% early withdrawal penalty that usually applies withdrawals from traditional IRAs. Um, Rules for taking a distribution on the Roth IRA to finance a first-time home purchase are slightly different than those on a traditional Remember that a withdrawal taken from a Roth for the purchase of a home is considered a qualified distribution after the account has been open for five tax years. As such, taking a distribution from a Roth for that purpose and under those conditions will both hit your income tax and penalty-free. Um, so you're, you're going to be fine on that. Um, but remember that the Roth distribution ordering rules, the first money out will be the annual contribution money, which is never taxed or penalized. Next out would be conversion money, and that also would be not be taxed or penalized, provided it has been in the Roth for five years. Last out would be earnings, which, because of the distribution rules, that means the only money taken from the Roth IRA that might pose a problem would be earnings or conversion money from an Irish converted to a Roth. Um, I personally never like touch savings, but if you were saving for that idea or that concept, 
um, I guess you're golden. Again, I don't like the concept. Uh, I would prefer that you say, you know, now I'm going to th- cut back on my contributions and start saving for that house. Um, it's tough to save, is my bottom line on this. And the more you save, the longer you let it sit. That 10000 will become twenty. it it'll become forty. It'll become eighty. It'll become one hundred and sixty thousand by the time you retire. So you're basically saying, you know, I want the now. Um, and you're also buying. Eh, I'm not going to talk about the housing market. I'm not going to say if it's now's the di- right time or the wrong time. I'm just I'll throw it out there. Uh, it's tough to save money. I'd prefer that you know the next six months you cut down on your Roth investments and funnel that money to a down payment. Um, I just keep coming back to that phrase in my head, it's, it's tough to save, and you've done a great job for your age. With that said, I wouldn't start going backwards. I would continue to go forwards uh, with everything that you can. With that said, you've certainly done well, So, and I, I get where you're coming at. So keep in mind that you're going to have to put 20% down on a house, ideally, Um so if it's a Bay Area house, you're probably talking down payment of at least a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars to get the best rates. So I'm not sure ten thousand dollars is going to get you as far as you want it to. But again, I'm digressing, and I, I certainly think you've done a great job in saving. I'm Rob Black. I was asking him about where he got the phone number because I think our phone was turned off when we moved. And I'm waiting to hear it's all good to go again. Um, Beats Music Service and Apple and Beats. Uh, Tim Cook is certainly showing that he's not Steve Jobs. Um, He's doing it with stock splits. He's doing it with buybacks. He's doing it with dividend increases. Um, It's interesting. It'll be one to watch, to say the least. So remember that $100 million that Mark Zuckerberg gave to the Newark school system? He was on an Oprah and Oprah said in her uh, only way that she could do it. $100 million would be given to a Newark, Newark mayor, Cory Booker, and Governor Chris Christie. And it was, you know, it was kind of going to you know, reward to retain the best teachers, create environments that would produce successful students. Um, more than 20 million of Zuckerberg's gift and matching donations went to consulting firms with various special specialties. So 100 million, 20 million goes straight to consulting firms, um, firms that could do you know human resources and uh, communications and data analysis. A lot of consultants were paid a thousand dollars a day. So pretty much so now that 100 million dollars is gone, and what we've learned is that Zuckerberg had no clue on how to be charitable in urban education and philanthropy. Um, the reading levels haven't gone up. It's turned into a disaster. Um, we'll see. You know, it, It's a little bit too early to judge it, but the money's gone. And the results haven't ticked up one iota. One of the concepts John was just talking about was tapping a retirement vehicle. I look at the Roth as a retirement vehicle, the Roth IRA. 
you're taking tax dollars and you're putting them into account and they're going to go tax, tax deferred and they're going to come out later in life, hopefully you know, tax free. Some people don't believe that. Thinking that the government will have to figure out a way to get some of it back. But premature withdrawals from 401ks and Roth and IRAs, to me, it's it's like, I guess if you're going to do it at market high is the time to be considering it. I don't like the, I really like the idea of this money is untouchable. And I'll give you a quick story. My brother Michael, uh, not the best brother. We're, you know, we're on okay terms, but we, we just grow apart. He, in the 1990s, took money out of his 401k because he, he saw the market getting really choppy and he didn't like it. Now all that money's gone and he never put it back in the 401k. Uh, he got penalized for taking it out early. So he got taxed for taking it out early. And he never got it put back in. And that's the tragedy, is that he missed the growth of the 1990s, the 2000s. Again, markets at all-time highs today. Uh, markets are at all-time highs on a regular basis. Now, a 5%, 10%, 15% correction, which could happen. I mean, we could be in one right now. It could be right around the corner. There's always a correction right around the corner. I've seen these markets do something a little bit different. They've been... Um, the markets are a little bit different. What they've been doing right now is they've been doing corrections inside of sectors versus a whole broad correction of all 10 sectors in the S&P. So that's worthy of note, I think. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Cheating a little bit. Um, GDP numbers in the 2 to 4% range are okay. We could work with that. I don't think you need to know anything else about GDP. I think, you know, obviously if you get two quarters in a row of negative GDP growth, then you are, you know, in a situation called a recession. Uh, Some people argue that a little bit here, a little bit there. I think all you need to know is two quarters in a row equals recession. I think knowing that GDP growing between 2 and 4% should keep you, okay, I saw that number, it's okay. And when it gets under 2%, you're like, maybe I should become a little more defensive. Um, just trying to help you cheat a little bit. Um, I don't think we'll get back to 4% anytime soon. Maybe we'll get a quarter here or a quarter there. But our government spending, our gross domestic product, um, I don't think we could, we would be way too inflationary if we were growing at 4%. 2%, you're kind of close to that stall level, like, uh-oh. I think the plane has enough gas to get to the landing strip. I think the plane has enough gas to get to the landing strip. But you start getting a little bit nervous. So helping you cheat a little bit here and there, I want you to enjoy music. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to enjoy some money. Um, but also I want you to you know, have the kind of like the big picture of, of what's going on. Um, capital markets, uh, equity markets, are pretty efficient tied towards capitalism. I have a belief that the stock market's okay tied towards capitalism. I have to be shaken of that belief, and thus that puts me in the position that more often than not, I'm positive on the long term than I am on, you know, well, no, we're going to heck in a handbasket. So I have money in the market. 
when they're, it's all-time highs, I'm good. When it's pulled back, I'm good. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find me on Facebook, Cron 4, Rob Black. Stocks are I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Thanks for listening to the show, for supporting the show. I know sometimes I go way, 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 way off topic. Uh, for instance, talking about wearables, technology to track kids. Um, but again, there will be investments in the Internet of Things. You know, we talk about 4G. It's already being built into cars, and it's, that's just going to continue. Your car is the ultimate mobile hotspot, right? Sometimes I drive an hour and a half, two hours a day. Um, and just sometimes, like, it just doesn't quite get me what's on radio. And, like, I want my music. Um, or I want access to KDOW.biz so I could listen to a financial show. But their signal's not strong enough to get to where I'm at. So it'll be nice. So definitively some trends going on there. The youngest generation of consumers, you know about baby boomers, right? You know about Generation X, basically 35 to 45 years old. Um, Generation Y is out there. They somehow got a cooler name of millennials. They're 24 to 37 years old. Generation X is 38 to 48. Generation Z is out there, and they're people basically up to the age of 23. And when you see trends, there's a lot of money to be made in trends. One of my favorite websites to study investing is the Census Bureau. Our government gets a lot of trend data for us put together. The Federal Reserve does as well. Those are some really, really boring papers but incredibly insightful. insightful. So here's one that just, it it, it had me puzzling. Generation Z's cooking preferences compared to millennials and Generation X. Generation Z, they want fresh, they want cooked in the oven or the stovetop, and they want it made from scratch. Millennials are more dominant in all those trends than Generation X. I don't own any like microwave food companies, but if I did, I'd be selling them. Because the only people who like the microwave seems to be Generation X. Uh, Generation X likes simple breakfast foods like cold cereal. Okay, now there are some publicly traded you know, cereal kind of companies. So now you're starting to talk about stuff that gets you know, thrown in supermarkets. And you, salad consumption for Generation Y is increasing, followed by sandwiches, breakfast foods that you know, do some sort of cooking like eggs and pancakes. So, it's fascinating to see. There's big gains both for involved foods and for easy-to-assemble meals. There's a turn away from um, microwave or, I'd say, the slower, uh, the faster instant gratification uh, packaged foods. 
So this tells me salad's going to grow. And there's a lot of profits in salad, right? Whole Foods will have a bad quarter here and there. Whole Foods is facing more competition from Sprouts, the fresh market. Um, Walmart, Target, everyone has got organic now. Five, ten years ago, no, not everyone did. But the people under 35 want that organic packaging. They want to see it. Now, the question is, will you pay six ninety nine for 12 eggs that are you know, cage-free, hormone-free, or will you pay two ninety nine for 12 eggs that caged as well as you know, hormone-induced? Make as many eggs as you can, chicken. Um, there will be a teeter-totter for sure, but Generation Y seems to be embracing it pretty aggressively. Now, instead of going out and owning one company, um, I think Annie's is publicly traded. Sprouts, Fresh Market, Whole Foods. Instead of going out and owning one organic play, Chipotle could be your organic play. Maybe you make an ETF, or maybe you find an ETF on organic foods. Um, by making an ETF, maybe what I'm kind of implying, maybe you say, I'm going to make, I'm going to find 10 stocks, and instead of investing in 10 positions, I'm going to invest in one-tenth position in each of them. And then you get that exposure to healthier food. Costs are pretty low on trades. Um, there are companies out there that let you make a basket of stocks, any basket of stocks that you want. And then they charge you a, a fee. But that's not a bad concept if you're going to try to play a trend. You know, another trend is certainly more health care. Both with Obamacare and baby boomers retiring, more health care. So it's part of our fastest-growing segment of our economy. So there's ETFs out there that are tied towards pharmaceutical companies. Healthcare, I break it down into four. Pharmaceutical, then you get medical device companies, companies that make pacemakers and hip replacements and uh, knee replacements. You get the biotech stocks. Companies are trying to come up with a cure for cancer, the cure for you know, baldness. And finally, you get the bio, I got biotech, pharmacy, oh, healthcare services, the HMOs and the PPOs, the companies like Sigma and Humana. Um, which one do I like? I like them all. Which one has the most growth? Biotech. Which one has the most risk? Biotech. Which is probably the safest? Probably pharmaceutical. Uh, which is in the sweet spot? I think the HMOs, the PPOs, the service companies, the hospitals. Uh, we're going to have a hard problem growing our hospitals fast enough to support the beds needed for baby boomers. So if you find a trend that you like, consider investing in it. And trends are pretty easy to spot out there. You know, another one we keep hearing about, people aren't, more and more people aren't ready for retirement. Maybe you invest in mobile homes, right? I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying that's the thought. I do not want to live in a mobile home in retirement. I could write that down and make it true. You can find me online at robblack.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Three.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.